Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon. Is there another big event going on this afternoon that I'm unaware of? I, I'm, a, I'm confident that you didn't have any prior commitments. And so, what a blessing to be here this Sunday afternoon together. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we open our time with a word of prayer? Give our time to the Lord and then we'll... Go back to the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and confess that we are weak. We are simple-minded. Lord, we make plans and we aspire and yet we realize that You guide our steps. You're in sovereign control. You guide and direct us in every step of our life. And everything that happens, whether good or bad, is all under your control. God, some of us come this Sunday with uh, messy lives and uh, a rough week, even a tough day. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would comfort us and that we would come to you today for strength. Come to you today for comfort. Others of us uh, had a great week and have a fine day. I pray that we would also recognize that it's not our own doing. It's not because we're great. It's because you are good and all good things come from you. And so we all come today dependent. We all come looking to you, asking for you to continue to help us and be with us. We come to your word now asking that you would feed us and that by your word we would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We are in chapter 3. Almost halfway through this book, and we press forward. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Verses 1 through 13, this whole section here, I don't know what the title says in your Bible, but the title in my Bible says, The Mystery of the Gospel Revealed. The Mystery of the Gospel Revealed. Now, when you read this section, and we're about to, together, you realize that this entire section is like a big parenthesis. I don't know if you do this, I'll confess. When you read a book, and you see those sections that are in parentheses or brackets, will you admit that you skip over those? I confess that I do. Because um, I just want to get to the point, right? Um. This, is, this section of Ephesians is, is basically a parenthesis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a digression. Uh, Paul goes back to the topic of Gentiles and Jews. And, um, and Paul does a bit of explaining here that will be helpful to us. And there's a good reason for his explanation. If you read verse 1, it seems like Paul is going to start his prayer. Paul starts a prayer, and by the way, he continues it in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
and then he, he articulates this prayer for the Ephesians, he seems to start it in verse 1. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, and then he says something that requires explaining. He says, I, Paul, verse 1, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then Paul goes into this parentheses, this digression. Well, that phrase there, he's a prisoner. That's the first time in the letter so far he's articulated that he's in prison. And he says, on behalf of you Gentiles. That requires some explaining, for sure. The Jews, <laughs> when they hear that, you can understand why they would be a little bit upset. Paul, wait a minute, you're, you're in prison? And it's on behalf of the Gentiles? I mean, they could be thinking, what a waste of time. What a waste. Why would you go to prison on behalf of the Gentiles? Remember, there was this feud between them. This hostility that exists. And then think about it if you're a Gentile and you're hearing this. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's in prison? Our ministry is done. (laughs) We're toast. The apostle is in prison. The apostle that's sent out to preach the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, it's over. Mission aborted. At this point, Paul anticipates their concern, and so he explains himself. He explains what might comfort them, what might bring this bad news and make it good news. He explains first the mystery about the Gentiles being included, because that requires further explanation. And secondly, or consequently, He explains his ministry to the Gentiles. And he explains ultimately that this was God's plan all along. That whether he's in prison or not, the gospel will go out to all the nations. And God's purposes, his plan will be accomplished. And so verse 13, he says, so I ask you, do not lose heart. So today we have a message of comfort. It's around the topic of the Gentiles' inclusion, which requires some explanation, and we'll get there. But this message should comfort you today, because even though your plans are thwarted, even though, you know, it seems as though stumbling blocks have come up in your life, you can be confident that God's plan for your life will be accomplished. And that whether it's good or it's bad, God has a purpose in it and through it. So, when things don't come together as you planned, what comforts do you hold on to? What comforts you? I'm sure you had a lot of those moments in 2020 when things didn't come together as planned. I had a couple. I'm sure you've had some even this year so far. When things don't come together as planned, I've had a couple too. I mean, what happens when your daughter splits her head open and your wife's car doesn't start an hour before church. That was my day today. Joel's fine, by the way, thanks to Dr. Kevin Norris. Well, nurse Kevin Norris. 
and his super glue, Gorilla Glue. But man, when, when plans don't come together, you're just sitting there thinking, Lord, why? Why? I, I mean, what, what good is this? <laughs> what, what are you trying to teach me here? Why is life hard? Why, why are you throwing these curveballs, Lord? You can plan all you want. And ultimately, though, it's the Lord we know that guides our steps, that establishes our steps. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. So are you confident that even though things are not going according to your plan, that God will accomplish his plan and his purpose? Whether things in your life are going as you perceive them, good or bad. Is God going to work through you in your life, in you in your life, to accomplish his purpose? And I would say, yes, he will, and amen. So we can have confidence in the Lord who's sovereign and in control of all things. And he shows his sovereignty in his plan of salvation here. So let's look at this big parentheses. Let's not skip over it. And it's divided into two sections. First is the mystery, and second is the ministry. First is the mystery, and second is the ministry. So number one, the mystery. What do you think of when you hear the word mystery? I think of Scooby-Doo. The word mystery, you might be thinking of like a secret or like this hidden plan that is revealed, and that, that would be to understand the sense of the word. The word mystery, uh, mysterion in the Greek, it comes up several times in this text. And let's, let's just make some observations and note how this word is used. Let's read through the text together. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is... That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now let's pause. Some simple observations as you read through the text. The mystery was something revealed to Paul. It was made known to him. Verse 3. And it's called the mystery of Christ. Do you see that in verse 4? That means that this mystery is directly related to Christ and his work of salvation. <clears throat> it was something that was unknown to previous generations. Verse 5a. So this was not previously known or, or not previously made clear. And it was revealed in verse 5b. Look at that. It was revealed not only to the Apostle Paul, but to all the apostles and prophets. And who revealed it to them? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
And then the content of the mystery, it's made plain and clear in verse 6. It is that the Gentiles have been included in God's salvation plan. So Paul talks a lot about how this mystery needed to be revealed. This plan needed to be revealed. And it was revealed to him and to other apostles. So I just want to briefly look at two actual testimonies in the scripture of the apostles receiving this revelation, the plan being revealed. And the two uh, testimonies I want to look at is first, Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, and then there's Paul on the road to Damascus as he articulates it in Acts chapter 26. So turn briefly in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Paul said this this, uh, mystery was revealed to me and other apostles. Let's look at how it was revealed. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is saying with Simon. And while he's staying with Simon, Peter received this vision from the Lord. And the vision is described in verses 9 through 16. And this vision that Peter received is a vision that we would all like to see. Imagine this. Peter sees this vision And out from heaven is this massive tablecloth that comes down to the earth, and there's all kinds of food on it. It's a buffet. That's exciting. Some of your stomachs are turning as we speak. And this buffet had all sorts of food on it. All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, verse 12 says of Acts chapter 10. And there came a voice to him, this voice from the heaven. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Oh boy, Peter's excited. We should be, right? No, but what does he say? Peter said, by no means, Lord. He denies the buffet. Why? For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, the problem for Peter in this buffet is that there are animals on it that he couldn't eat. According to what? according to the Jewish ceremonial law. So Peter's in, well, he's got an issue here. He can't eat these animals that, well, the heavens are telling him to eat. And then the voice came to him, and again a second time in verse 15, and what does it say? What God has made clean, do not call common. And so Peter receives this vision, and the text says he's perplexed. He's all sorts of confused. He's kind of trying to understand what it means. And then Peter receives a visitor. A man was sent to Simon's house. Well, three men exactly, verse 19. And they're looking for Peter. And this is what they said. They said, Cornelius... A centurion, right after Peter receives his vision, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. What's the problem with Cornelius? You're like, there is no problem. He's a God-fearing man. He's well spoken of by the Jewish nation. Cornelius is not, though, a Jew. So we find out these three men are looking for Peter at Simon's house. They go to look for Peter. They want to bring him to Cornelius because Cornelius has received a word from an angel. And so Peter uh, does what they ask him to do. He goes to Cornelius' house, 
And then he's invited in. And when Peter goes in, Cornelius bows down to him and worships him. And Peter says in verse 26, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he goes in and found many persons gathered. Verse 28. And Peter says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew like me to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But here, the, it's all coming together in Peter's head here. Look at, look at what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. What was the purpose of the vision from the Lord? That Peter, not so Peter would eat a good meal. Or that Peter could have bacon. Which is a benefit. Don't get me wrong. But the purpose of the vision was that Peter would understand that these ceremonial laws abolished and that God had a plan to include Gentiles in his great salvation offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. Cornelius comes to him and explains that he heard this word from the angel of the Lord. And in verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and says this. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, every nation, anyone who fears him and done what is right is acceptable to him. That was a revelation shown to Peter. No one is unclean or common anymore, but God has included Gentiles. Now turn over to Acts chapter 26 real briefly. Let's look at Paul his testimony of the being on the road to Damascus and what God directly revealed to him. It's the same message, just a different story, a different circumstance. Now, in this testimony, Paul is standing before Agrippa. And he's telling his testimony. He says this in verse 12, Acts chapter 26, 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority in commission of the chief, chief priests. By the way, to go and kill and persecute Christians. He was on the road ready to go and kill more Christians, persecute more Christians. But, verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, which basically just means your mission is futile. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And here is the Lord's mission for Paul. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There it is. The Lord appears to Paul in this vision and gives him his mission to go and preach the gospel, not to Jews only, but also to Gentiles. 
And so Paul says, that is exactly what I did. Therefore, O King Agrippa, verse 19, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to the who? Gentiles. There we go. God's plan made clear as day to the apostles. The truth that was hidden in times past has now been revealed. The mystery is no mystery anymore. The Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. And that's good news for us, most of us here. We're Gentiles, aren't we? From nations outside of Israel. And God has a plan in this age to save us, include us in this great plan of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what the Gentiles are called in verse 6. The plans revealed. The Gentiles are called, look at verse 6. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. Reminds me of Galatians 3.29. says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. In Christ, the Gentiles are beneficiaries of the eternal inheritance, as well as Jews. It's not that salvation belongs to Israel and only Israel, and only they receive all the blessings that come with it. It's not that the Gentiles get the scraps or the leftovers. It's not that Israel is the firstborn male who receives the majority and the primacy and the inheritance offerings. No, no, no. Gentiles are called what? Joint heirs, co-heirs, fellow heirs of the promises of God. Not secondary, not the leftovers, fellow heirs. Look what else they're called. They're called fellow members of one body. Fellow members of one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. We're all a part of God's family. We're one. Brothers and sisters, we talked about that last week. This is not Cinderella, where, you know, maybe the ugly stepsisters might be represented by the Jews, you know. They're just bitter, jealous angry. You know, the Gentiles are, you know, like Cinderella, locked in the basement, separated. They're a different kind of family. No, we all have a seat at the table. We're all participators. We all receive God's blessing. We all receive the blessing of calling Yahweh our Father. We're all children. I mean, isn't adoption such a beautiful picture of this? Adopted kids are not less than biological children. They ought not to be treated differently. They're fellow heirs. They're members of the same family, brothers and sisters. doesn't matter their ethnicity. doesn't matter their background. doesn't matter the circumstances. They are called children. That's who we all are in God's family, equal members. Lastly, just look at this last phrase here. Gentiles are partakers of the promise, partakers 
of the promise, participators of the promise, beneficiaries of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, in Christ, all believers are made everything he is and given everything he has. All believers are made everything that he is and given everything he has. It is in Christ that we receive these blessings. All partakers. Now I think about tickets to a concert or a sporting event. Don't you miss those? Oh, I miss them. Didn't go to them often, but now that they're gone, you miss them. When you, you know, when you were able to go to things like this, mass gatherings, you know this, there are certain exclusive areas of sitting. There are the box seats, you know, the floor level tickets. And you get that ticket at the, you know, the ticket booth or in the mail, however, and those tickets are special. Don't they look special? They're embroidered, they're gold, they're bigger. You have the VIP pass that's all big and thick on, you know, cardstock that lasts. These are the tickets that you frame. You're proud of them. I sat in a box seat. And then you all know, well, maybe some more, more of us are familiar with the general admission ticket. <laughs> you know, the, the bloody nose seats up at the top of the stadium. What are those tickets printed on? It's like as thin as toilet paper. Those are the tickets you, actually, you accidentally throw away with your, not, with your nacho tray, right? And you're like, gosh, I don't have my ticket. You don't save those tickets. You know, I, I don't know, maybe the Jews were thinking that they had these special tickets to heaven. Special means of admission. Because, well, they're, they're of Israel. God says, no, no, no. There's one ticket to heaven. One ticket. And it is by faith that you receive this ticket. The one ticket is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe in Him, you're saved. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, a businessman in New York, or an orphan from the slums. We all receive the same promises in Jesus Christ. We are all, if we believe in Him, we are conformed into His image. And we receive Him in glory. Equal access. Nothing is withheld. These Gentile believers have full benefits. So the mystery is revealed. Gentiles are included. And we say amen to that, don't we? Amen. God's plan is being, or has been, and continues to be accomplished as the gospel goes out to the nations. That's why we're here. Now this great mystery turns into Paul's ministry. Okay, so Paul puts some legs onto this and describes how his ministry is also to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's not just Paul's ministry, but it's ours, the church's ministry. Okay, so point number two, the ministry, the ministry. The gospel going to the Gentiles, the gospel that saves. Paul says this, look at verse seven. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, 
though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I, I couldn't help but notice reading through this, Paul's attitude toward ministry. Did you notice that? Did you notice a uniqueness about Paul's attitude toward ministry? He calls his ministry a stewardship. He calls it that in verse 2. He calls it a gift of grace. Twice. Verses 7 and 8. And he, he says that he is the least of all the saints, not the apostles. Paul calls himself the least of the saints. Which, by the way, is not false humility. Paul said something similar in 1 Timothy 1.15. He calls himself the chief of sinners, and he truly believed that. I mean, the very word that Paul uses for minister, look at in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Do you know what that Greek word is? Diakonos. Which is where we get the word deacon. Which can be translated as servant or slave. In other words, Paul considered himself a slave in the ministry. And he's not talking about the burdens that he carried. He's talking about his position. I'm just, a, I'm just a fellow servant in the ministry. Wow. There's a lot we can learn from the Apostle Paul and even his language here on how we should view ministry. I mean, consider Paul's circumstances. He's in prison. Why? Because of ministry. I mean, a lesser man, speaking for myself, I would now be afraid of the ministry. I would be discouraged. I don't know about you, but I would be disheartened. I would even be embittered. Ministry? That's what put me in prison. But not Paul. He considers it a gift. A gift of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? Even in prison... He asked the Ephesians, we'll see this later in the book, but he asked the Ephesians to pray for him so that he can continue to have boldness and courage to preach the gospel to his captors. I mean, nothing can discourage Paul. Nothing can dishearten him. Why? Is it because he's such a great man? Is it because he has so much courage? No, he, he asked the Ephesians to pray for him so that he have more courage. No, what makes Paul great is his faithfulness. 
And what makes Paul great is his trust in God who will accomplish his plan and purposes. He knows, despite the fact that I'm in jail, God is going to continue the mission. And the Gentiles will make it to glory. Paul is confident in God and his sovereignty despite all these trials that he's going through. Paul says, I'm just a servant in the ministry. I'm the least of the saints. This is a privilege for me. This is a joy, a gift. Oh, this is like Christmas. I get to preach the gospel even in prison. Wow. Can I ask you a convicting question that I ask myself? What do you think about ministry? Is it a chore? Is it something you have to do? An obligation? A box on your Christian checklist? A total discouragement? Just, you know, disheartening? Are you frustrated? I'll tell you what, Paul had every reason to be, but he wasn't. He was encouraged to press on. Just a few practical applications. What, what ministry lessons can we learn from the Apostle Paul? Just some, just some application here as I, I'm trying to apply it in my own life and want to encourage you to apply it in yours. Consider ministry a gift from the Lord. Consider ministry a gift, not a burden, not a chore, but a privilege. I mean, an opportunity, a gift of God's grace. I mean, when's the last time that you considered whatever ministry you're serving in? And I know things are unique right now, but, you know, maybe go back to the days of set up, tear down, resource table, greeter. Whatever your ministry, serving at an event. Did you, did you approach that day or that event saying, you know what, what a gracious gift from God that I get to serve? What a gift from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is your grace that I get to minister to people and use the gifts that you've given me. That was Paul's attitude. That's what we can, we can learn from him. It doesn't matter how challenging the circumstances, the difficulties, the trials, or the hurts, we must resolve to view ministry always as a gift from the Lord, a gift of grace. Number two, your ministry is a stewardship for others. It's a stewardship for others. You know, 1 Peter 4.10 says that we've each been received a gift. Use it to serve one another. And it's talking about the, in the context of the church. Your spiritual gifts are not for you to grow your business primarily. Your spiritual gifts are not for you to be the, the hot shot, the celebrity in your home, of the, you know, in your family. Well, I'm the person in my family with the gift of teaching or exhortation, or I need to always point out and correct the things that are going wrong because that's how I'm gifted. No, no, your spiritual gifts are for you to steward for the sake of others. And Paul considered that. He was just a servant for other people. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a good steward of your spiritual gifts? Are you a good steward of the ministry opportunities that God has given you? 
Number three, and this seems so obvious, and it's amazing to learn from the Apostle Paul because he really lived it. Number three, stay humble. Oh, what a good lesson for us. Stay humble. Keep pride out of your ministry. Keep pride out of your life. You know, and it, it creeps in so subtly. Creeps in so subtly. Oh, I, you know, I, I really hope so-and-so is watching me right now. Because I'm serving, and they should be. Or, oh, man, I, you know, I want to do this well so that somebody pats me on the back afterward and says, hey, good job. I noticed that you're being faithful. Pride is so subtle. You know what pride is? Pride is the first breach into the fortress. It's the first enemy that comes in. And you've seen this in the movie. The guy comes in, and what does he do? He opens up the gate, and all the rest of the evil comes in after him. Pride opens the door for every other sin in your life. It allows all these other sins to creep in and ruin your testimony, ruin your ministry, ruin your walk with the Lord. Kill pride. Don't let him creep in. 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He should be our boast. We don't take pride in ourselves. So these are just some attitudes that we can learn from the Apostle Paul. And of course, attitudes that Paul learned from Christ. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Christ is one we ultimately look, look to. Let's just briefly comment on what Paul's ministry is. There's two aspects he says here. His ministry is, number one, verse eight, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then number two, verse nine, to bring to light for everyone what the plan is. He's a preacher and a prophet. Okay? Preaching the gospel and then letting everyone else know what this new plan is. He's revealing the will of God, revealing the purposes of God. You know, in a sense, <laughs> Paul comes to the Gentiles with a huge treasure chest of the unsearchable riches of Christ, and he dumps it out of before the Gentiles, and he says, look, all of this can be yours. And then he turns around to the onlooking Jews and says, hey, listen, it's okay, it's okay. This was God's plan all along. Don't be upset. Don't be jealous. No reason for hostility anymore. This is God's plan. That was his ministry. That's the majority of Paul's ministry. I mean, he talks about this over and over and over again. He says the focal point has shifted. Previously, the focal point of God in revealing his word and revealing his plan, the focal point was this, this people, the people of Israel. And you see them in the Old Testament. They're kind of the focal point. The main means, the vehicle through which God reveals himself to the world. But you remember, Israel didn't do that well. And so there's a new focal point. There's a shift. Not to disregard or replace Israel. God still has a plan for them. Romans 11. But God uses this new vehicle, this new means to proclaim his glory. And what are they called? Verse 10. Through the who? Say it with gusto. Through the? The new vehicle. 
the new means by which God is going to proclaim His glory to the nations, His good news, His gospel. Look at through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known. The word manifold could be translated multifaceted or even, get this, multicolored. Isn't that a cool image? The multicolored wisdom of God is revealed through the church. Think about the applications of that illustration to the ethnic differences in the church. You have people from all ethnicities, all colors, a variety, different tongues and languages coming together, united in Christ. It's a multicolored display of God's wisdom. Wow. What a beautiful picture of God's wisdom. It's so amazing, in fact, that look at, who's, look at who's, who uh, it's revealed to and who it blows away. It, it, it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are they? Those are the angels. These are the things, 1 Peter 1 says, that the, the angels long to look at. The picture is that you know, the angels are you know, looking over the brim of heaven as the church displays the multicolored wisdom of God, and they're looking at this, and they're blown away, and they worship God for His wisdom. They worship God for His majesty. They worship God for His creativity. The church, the church is what perplexes, mesmerizes the angels in heaven. Oh, the depth, Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. This plan is being revealed. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All of this, as the church now is the vehicle by which the gospel is made known to the nations, this multicolored display of God's wisdom, all of this, verse 11, is according to the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of this is according to plan. Paul says it's going to happen, whether I'm in prison or not. Because this new people, you guys, Gentiles and Jews together in Christ, this people is going to take the gospel to the nations. That's his plan. And it will be accomplished until the last day. Coronavirus or not. A president we like or not. A government that tries to suppress religion or not. No government power can stop it. No earthly ruler can stop it. Christ will build his church. And the gates of hell can't overcome it. So the question I have for you is, you know, I love this little quote from Eric Little in his little book on prayer. He, well, he writes this little book on the disciplines of the Christian life, and he writes this little word on prayer. You know, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, you, the, you pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
thy kingdom come. Eric Little says, you prayed, thy kingdom come. Now what are you going to do about it? That's God's plan. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to participate in the advancing of the gospel and the growth of God's kingdom? Because you're the church. You're the church. What a mission we have. What a mission we have to make disciples of all the nations. Will you be committed to that mission? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're pressed for time. There's so much that we can look at. And, and just seeing your plan that's revealed and accomplished. God, our little plans in life, the little things, even the, the daily things on our schedule, they come under your sovereignty. They come under your providence, your control. I pray that we would submit our plans to you, God. Help us to just know and find comfort in the fact that, God, when things go not according to our plans, they're always according to yours. And God, I pray that we would even reprioritize our schedule, our plans, to prioritize your mission, to proclaim your glory and to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, to our neighbors, co-workers, family members. Pray that you would crystallize our mission in our brains. And that we would be so focused, so determined like Paul to preach the gospel even when circumstances prevent us. To preach the gospel even in the midst of a pandemic. To preach the gospel and, and share the gospel even when we feel like we can't because we're hindered by this reason or that reason. God, no. I pray that we would be committed to your mission because it's your purpose and you will accomplish it. We just want to participate. We just want to join our hearts with yours and join our lives with your purpose. And we do all of this for your glory. And we know that when we're doing everything for your glory, it's for our ultimate good. Pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.